Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the NFL Road Show. Lindsay Rhodes here. One week into free agency now, and it's starting to slow down. Fewer and fewer big names coming across the ticker. Though there were some moves over the weekend that were notable. Kenny Galladay, for instance, a massive deal from the Giants. And I'm not sure that I saw coming. $18 million a year for four years and a down year for wide receiver deals. I'm sure he was hearing from a few people that he should just take whatever was out there on a short-term deal and come back again and try for more money next year or the year after that. Well, Good thing he didn't take that advice because holy moly, he got paid. The sixth highest paid wide out in the league now. They get a lot more than the next best receiver from this cycle, which appears to be Corey Davis at $12.5 million. He went to the Jets. I'm not sure who the Giants were bidding against for Galladay to get that number up so high, but good for him, I guess. And if it makes the Giants better, I guess it'll end up being worth it, though I do think that they need some work on their O-line and that they're probably the third best team right now in the NFC East, but we'll see. I like the Will Fuller to Miami signing at $10 million can help him stretch the field if he can stay on the field, assuming they draft a receiver also. That unit could look really different next year. Not sure about the Juju signing in Pittsburgh. million for one year, and shout out to my girl Taylor Bashotti for coming through on the details there. Feels like a lot of resources to put into the wide receiver position, considering they already have Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson and James Washington under contract, and they don't have a lot of cap space, and they need some work on the O-line. Anyway, how about the Broncos doing some work on their D? Two-time Pro Bowl corner Kyle Fuller coming in to pair with Ronald Darby, who they already signed from Washington. Justin Simmons at safety, who they extended bringing back Vaughn Miller and Shelby Harris. They will not have Philip Lindsay on the offensive side anymore. Cut by Denver, he signed with Houston over the weekend. Riley Reef signed with the Bengals. Huge for them to protect Joe Burrow on the right side. Keanu Neal to Dallas. That could be interesting. Reunited with his old Falcons coach, Dan Quinn. We've got Deshaun Jackson signing with the Rams, taking Josh Reynolds' place, essentially, as he signs with the Titans. Chris Carson back in Seattle. Xavier Rhodes, no relation, back in Indy. Of course, the biggest NFL story that we're all tracking this week that could come with the greatest degree of fallout in terms of players and teams affected is the one that is developing in Houston with regards to Deshaun Watson and the sexual assault allegations that he's facing from a growing number of women. Looks like we're up to 13 different civil lawsuits brought against him at the moment as I tape this on Monday, though that number has gone up a couple of times today. So could be different by the time you're listening to this. The filing attorney has said that there are even more women that he's spoken to that have similar complaints, up to 10, I think, who have not been included in any of the filed lawsuits, which all stem from incidents in the last couple of years. Women who say that they were contacted for massage appointments and then ended up being harassed or assaulted in some way. One woman says she was groped. One woman says she was kissed unprompted. Uh, Several say that he touched them with his penis. There are allegations of him exposing himself, ejaculating in front of them. And two women say that he forced them to perform oral sex. So the NFL says they're investigating. Deshaun Watson says he's, quote, never treated any woman with anything but the utmost respect. And his agent posted this statement on Twitter on Friday. Sexual assault is real. Victims should be heard. Offenders prosecuted. New sentence now. Individuals fabricate stories in pursuit of financial gain often. Their victims should be heard, and those offenders also prosecuted. I simply hope we keep this same energy 
with the truth. All right, so clearly this is a mess. At a time when Watson wanted out, seemingly had a lot of leverage to kind of force a move with teams that wanted him, were willing to give up a lot. Now we've all got this dropped in our laps and who knows what to make of it. It's a lot to wade through. So let's get waiting with my guest today, longtime NFL front office executive Michael Lombardi, who's doing all sorts of things these days. It's time to break the huddle. Michael Lombardi, you're a busy man these days, writing for The Athletic. They've got the pod, the GM Shuffle, a sports betting show for VSIN, the Lombardi line. And I've got lots of questions about that that I want to get to because I didn't see that one coming uh, on your resume. Also, an email subscription service about leadership is called the daily that's called coach the, is that the daily coach yeah that's that's something that i i really i love that i write that uh coach george raveling who lives in los angeles former head coach at usc kamadi trevor and alec the five of us we all kind of work on that together that's really been a that's a that's a source of great pride for me and that's what would what would you how would you it's a you that? know coach raveling and i read a book we, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and, and we would meet. I was living in Playa del Rey, and he was living in, uh, in, uh, right there in Los Angeles. And so we would always have dinner once every couple of weeks over at Howe's and, and Playa. And we were, were both reading this book called Trillion Dollar Coach. It's about Bill Campbell, who was a uh, former football coach at Colorado. Uh, at, excuse me, at Columbia. And he was won 13 games in his five-year career, four-year career. And he said, you know what? I'm going to move to uh, Palo Alto. I'm going to open up a consulting firm for these tech businesses. So he opens up. He rents office space in downtown Palo Alto. And he ends up being a, a coach for Steve Jobs, for you know Larry Ellison, for you know Sheryl Sandberg, for all these high level. And he ended up coaching them. And the feeling we both had was, look, if – if Steve Jobs needed a coach, everybody needs a coach. So that's the inspiration behind the letter, the, the daily email letter. So we do that. So it's been great. We write it every day, seven days a week. So it's been a lot of fun. That's kind of a time investment. Um, yeah, we, we all consider all the other things that you're doing. We all split it up. So, you know, certain that we all we have four or five of us all write different. So it's we don't put a byline on it because it's really about the, the group of us. So it's 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 really good. No, it's 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 a labor of love, it really is. Just lessons in leadership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, little things, how you can make your day better. And what's and the, the beautiful thing about writing every day is you, you observe things in your daily life and I'll see something and I'll say, Yeah, that that that'd be a great daily coach column. You know, and that be so, so. It just keeps you more in tune to what you're and grounded. Well, I think that's a, something we can all use these days, in yeah. particular, right? Always, but right. within the past year, I think that type of focus, no doubt, definitely been needed. So, from an NFL standpoint, um, it's been an interesting time with a lot of teams kind of changing um, their their rosters, obviously, in the last couple of weeks with free agency. I want to start though, um, and I want to get to some of that, but this Deshaun Watson story feels like it's getting really messy. And so I'm curious where you see this going in terms of teams that have been interested in acquiring his services. Can they follow through on that at this point with all of this hanging out there? What do you think happens? 
I think, uh, you know, look, I, I think these are serious allegations and certainly they need to be pursued. I think that anybody who thinks that teams are still calling with great interest are, is it doesn't understand how the NFL works. Mm. Um, Why do you say that? Because I don't think you know. You can't deal blindly. It's easy for somebody to sit in in Boise, Idaho and say, trade for Deshaun Watson. Well, you don't have all the facts. The only way you can make a trade is when you know all the facts. Do you know what's going to happen? Do you understand the case? None of us understand the case. None of us understand the charges. None of us understand everything. So I think that I've never really felt like Deshaun Watson was going to be traded. Yeah. But I think now that there's this, these charges, these allegations, uh, whether they become criminal or whether they stay in the civil court, I don't know. But I think that's going to put this on tremendous hold. The other factor is that, you know, what we've seen through free agency is we've seen that there's a lot of teams that don't have any cap room. And to take on Deshaun requires a ton of cap room. It takes requires a lot of – so there's a lot of moving pieces that have to go into place to do this. And I'm not saying a team wouldn't want to do that. However, that being said, you better make damn sure that what you're getting, you're getting. And when you deal in the unknown, you're going to be prone to make a mistake. And no team, no general manager, including the general managers of their own teams, doesn't want to do that right now. Time is going to be uh, of the essence. So you think that those voice messages that they were getting and not listening to prior to all of this coming out have probably stopped coming? I think they've stopped for the last two weeks. I think this has just been a me- I think this has been a tremendous media story. I think it's been generated. I think that do I think Deshaun Watson's unhappy? Yes. I don't know why he's unhappy. Uh, yeah. Back in back in August, he deposited a check. He stayed awake till two in the morning. Uh, he deposited that check. When he deposited that check, that was written by Cal McNair. Cal McNair was still the owner. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was traded already to the Cardinals. So I don't know what transpired to make him unhappy. Was it because he wasn't involved in the GM shirts? I don't know. But this whole, his agent has created this incredible story of unhappiness that I can't quite put a finger on why it can't get resolved, why it's to the degree of where it is. And then these these allegations come out. So uh, I, I don't think it's in anybody's best interest to proceed along until they know all the facts. So you didn't think even prior to all of this coming out, you didn't think that it was in the Texans' best interest to deal him. Um, but assuming that that was a path that was at least open for some other clubs as a possibility that maybe is not anymore, who do you think, What's where does the fallout go? Because it feels like this was the kind of thing that had the capability to be quite a domino situation where teams might have been holding off on figuring out what to do um, in some other ways until they kind of understood whether or not they were going to have a shot at Watson. So, so who does this impact positively or negatively? I think, I, I think the, I think there's really only two places he's ever wanted to play. I think the media has had him playing in other places. I think it's been San Francisco and Denver. That's been his desired spots. That's been told to me, whether that's, uh, you know, that's been through secondhand information, but that's pretty reliable. And um, that matters because of the no trade he, clause? He has the no trade clause in his contract, which also hinders the Texans from trading him. Right. Because here's where fans don't really understand it. If you have a no trade clause in your contract, then what that limits me from doing is getting the best deal that I possibly can for the player. 
Okay. So if the Jets, let's say, for example, really want Deshaun Watson and he says, I'm not playing for the Jets, then you've just hurt my chances of improving my team. Not only do you want me to trade you, you also want me to take less value. You don't control that. Because remember, in spite of what we've been reading about and hearing all through the media is once the season kicks in, once minicamp starts, once first day of training camp starts, this all favors the Texans financially. Because he has he, to pay back money. He has to pay back money. And it's a boatload of money. And if he wants to miss a year, it's a real boatload of money. San Francisco and Denver feel like if he really wanted out, those wouldn't be good teams for him to try and force a trade to because the Texans are not going to get a quarterback back in that deal, right? That they likely want to start. The Jets at least have that that number right. two overall pick. So um, it, that, that would seem like a weird hill for him to die on considering he, that he wanted yeah. out in the first place. Yeah, but I think that, you know, that's – but Jimmy Garoppolo's in San Francisco. For that, for the Niners to do the deal, they would have to trade Garoppolo to somebody. Now, Garoppolo has – But would the Texans want Jimmy Garoppolo? I guess well, that's where I'm coming from. Like, is that I, a viable I think, I think, starter? I don't know if they would want him for, for in that deal, but I think that, you know, he obviously – Nick Cesario knows Jimmy was there when we drafted him. So, obviously, he's got a familiarity with him. And, you know, Jimmy could easily say, look, I don't want to play in Houston. So there's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. It's easy to, to write online about five great spots for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. But when so many people can control it, it's hard to really uh, make that all reality. It's great stories. I think it's more fiction than reality. Is Darnold maybe one of those guys whose future um, is potentially changed? Because if Deshaun Watson is not really on the trading block and he's going to stay put because then that becomes an option for somebody else if the Jets go quarterback at number two? I don't think so. I think I think Darnold is is a separate case. I think the Jets have to make a decision. Are they taking Zach Wilson? And I think from what I've heard, they are. And if they decide to do that, they have great value in Darnold. Now, they want a high second-round pick and a player. That's the last I've heard of what they're asking for Darnold. Now, who would play? who would pay that? I don't know yet. I, obviously, no one's paying that. There was a little bit of a stagnant belief uh, because of the uncertainty involving, you know, was Russell Wilson available? Is Deshaun Watson available? Mm-hmm. That stagnant has seemed to stop. And I think the only quarterback who's really available would be Darnold. Now, who's really interested? That remains to be seen. And if there's only one or two teams interested, then the market value will come down. Assuming the Jets want to do that. I'm not sure that's the right play for the Jets either. What about uh, the Niners in that case? You have said um, in one of your columns for The Athletic that Kyle Shanahan is rather specific in what he wants for his offense from the quarterback position. And you mentioned Darnold as a quarterback that might fit that particular bill. Do you see him as an upgrade from Garoppolo if they wanted to go make a move there? Uh, you know, I think he would fit the description of what Kyle wants. He's athletic. He can make plays. He can throw the ball on his, to his right and to his left. He can play on the move. I think the question you would have with Darnold would be, can he not turn the ball over? Which has been the question at SC, which has been the question we've been asking ourselves for a long time. I'm not sure, uh, you know, that they actually improve if they trade Darnold for, for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know if they improve that. I don't know if they really improve their team. I think they have to improve some of their, their offensive line. You know, in San Francisco, they don't have a great dropback pass game. So when it becomes a dropback pass game and their offensive line tends to break down, 
it puts some pressure on the quarterback. Jimmy's made a lot of mistakes in that area. Darnold would do the same. So I'm not sure that's actually, you know, if I trade Darnold for Garoppolo, have I gotten better? I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't think that's right. You've said that the Broncos are a quarterback away. I saw you tweet that out yeah. within the last couple of days. So I assume you have liked their offseason moves. They've really bulked up on defense with some of their moves in the last couple of days. Who is the quarterback? Is there a quarterback that they could plug in at this point? A move think, that they could make? You know, I think obviously it could be Darnold. They could certainly trade for Darnold. He would be an upgrade over Drew Locke. I mean, they've had they've had Drew Locke. They've almost traded Drew Locke this offseason, and I think they backed out of it at the last moment. They did. I'm not sure John Elway, when I've said this on my podcast, I'm not sure John Elway allowed them to do it. Even though he says he's not running the team, he's still involved with the day-to-day operation. So for me, uh, you know, I think they have to improve that quarterback. And where they're picking in the draft, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that. I think George Payton's really good at what he does. I think he knows what I know, that Drew Locke isn't really going to lead them to where they need to go. And they've got a really good team. And I think Vic Fangio knows this. I think Vic is the one with a sense of desperation on his mind. He's got a good defense. I don't know if Von Miller can come back and be Von Miller that he was two years ago or three years ago. He wasn't the same player before he got injured, and then he missed the whole year. But with you know Bradley Chubb and some of the players they have on defense, their ability to have the skilled players around them, uh, they just need somebody who can keep them out of making bad plays. And Locke just never really could do that. I think they're better on defense. I think they have a good team without a quarterback. Who else do you think has improved themselves dramatically so far this offseason? Anybody? Well, I mean, I- well, I mean, New England, clearly, they spent so much money on 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 so many. Mm. Pl- they needed to do that. I mean, they needed to make they, New England needed to upgrade their talent pool. And especially what they were able to do it with players at the 24 at the 26 to 28 year old range. I mean, I think they certainly improved themselves tremendously with young guys who are durable. I mean, they had the worst tight end situation in all of football. Ryan Izzo was their only tight end on the team last year. And then eventually they were able to. You know, now this year they have hate. They have uh, they have uh, Hunter Henry. They have uh, you know they have Smith. They're really good. They put some pieces around. Now their quarterback situation is a little is a little bit like Denver. Cam can't play like he did last year and think that the Patriots are going to win games. They've got to be better than that. So, but I think clearly New England has gotten better. Look, the Jets have gotten better too. The Jets have improved their talent pool. You know that because they've spent some money. The Bengals. The Bengals just silent Riley Reef has been a huge. They can get Williams, their left tackle, to play better. They get a legitimate right tackle. They're not playing Bobby Hart at right tackle. I mean, they get Joe Burrow back. I mean, they've improved their team a little tremendously, uh, and they needed to. I mean, because, the, you know, this is Zach Wilson's, Zach Taylor's third season there, you know, and David Shula lasted. And, and Zach Taylor is by far the, in terms of record, one of the worst coaches in Bengals history. Um. Okay. So looking around at the other signings that have happened in just in the last couple of days, Kenny Galladay getting a big deal from the Giants. Do you think that that is money well spent? Do you think that that's a move that uh, that they had to make because they were kind of backed into a corner? Why spend so much money on Kenny Galladay when it seems like there weren't other people bidding that price up against them? That's a really good question, Lindsay. Uh, you know, I think Kenny Galladay has, he was offered $20 million in October a year by the Lions. He turned it down. Why? I don't know. I don't know where he thought he was going to get more than $20 million a year. 
but the Lions didn't try to offer him that. He turned it down. Uh, and I think there was really, really one team with significant cash on the table for him, and that were the Giants. Everybody's a little concerned about the ability. They're concerned about some of the issues off the field. If they can get their hands actually around them on what they are, you know, and uh, so look, the Giants, when you go through the Giants roster, you know, it's, it's a fascinating team in the sense that they have so many guys, you know, they have the highest price. They have the second highest price kicker, the fourth highest paid yeah. punter. They have like the sixth highest paid offensive lineman. They, you know, they, they have all these high price players and yet are they really any good? And they think Daniel Jones is really good and they may be right. I don't happen to be in that boat, but certainly, you know, they feel like their offense last year, I thought their offense was one of the worst offenses yeah. by design, by scheme, by execution of any team I've seen all year. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if they can actually get better. Is their offensive line any good? I mean, Andrew Thomas is a kid they picked off early in the draft. He didn't play very well last year. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure the Giants are a team that is as good as the Giants think they are. Yeah. I mean, I, feel like they're probably the third best team in that division just because the Eagles need a lot of work, but yeah. I I don't know. Who do you think is the, the best team right now as it stands on paper there? Do you like the Cowboys or Washington? No, I like Washington. I think Washington's really good on defense. I think they improved. Look, they upgraded with William Jackson at corner. I think he's one of the better corners in the league. That's going to hurt Cincinnati losing him. He's physical. They can rush the passer. When you get a corner like him that can rush – and he can disrupt the timing of the passing game a little bit because he's really good at the line of scrimmage. I think that helps you. Uh, I, I don't know what Ryan Fitzpatrick will see. I really don't. But he'll be better than whatever quarterback they had last year, whether it was Haskins, whether it was Alex Smith, who I, I felt really every day I was nervous watching him play. I was scared oh. to death. I was scared to death, not because I don't like Alex Smith, just because I was scared of his knee. Afraid. Yeah. And, and yeah, you weren't Taylor, alone. You know, Taylor Hankey, he came in and played the best of any quarterbacking play they had, Kyle Allen briefly. So, so what do you do I with that? If you're a front office, right? The the Heineke thing is almost confusing at the last second because now you have to hold on to him and maybe play this out. Did you see something there where you thought like that there might be more there? Was that something that you can build around and have optimism about? Is he I, I, just a guy and he had a good game? I mean, I think you need to find that out. And, and I think he played really well. And so you got to bring him back. And I think where they were, we got Fitzpatrick, you know, an older player. Can he stay healthy? He's been an adorable player in his career. But I don't think you can have too many. Kyle Allen's coming off an injury. I think it was smart to resign him. Look, for me, Alex Smith was the conversation. You know, I, Alec was upset about uh, Ron Rivera not wanting him to play. And th so often in the NFL, people get, ridicule teams get ridiculed for pushing a player back too soon into the game for making him want to come play with a concussion or an injury i think all of us really think that's not the right narrative however that is the narrative that's out there people are rushing players back i don't think that's true and in this case i think that ron rivera was exactly like like me i think he was worried that he was going to go out there and get hurt and i think that that concerns that's a concern and I think he has he was due sixteen million dollars last yeah. year, whether he played or not. And I was very much of the opinion he shouldn't have played. And I was nervous when he did play. I like I like Washington's football team. I really do. I like what they've done. I think they're going to get better. They've got to do something. And they still have a draft. They'll draft a quarterback. They're all over a quarterback. They will draft one in the draft too. 
Is that fair to Alex to have that approach? I think it's an understandable approach. I think all of us kind of held our breath every time he dropped back. So I understand not wanting to make an investment from a business standpoint, but not wanting him to play last year under the circumstances when he'd worked so hard to come back and then just give him a shot to do it. And, and you know, he did fine and he didn't get hurt on any of those dropbacks. Yeah, I, I don't know if he was the same player. He didn't look as – you know, you can pass the physical and the doctors can say you've been cleared to play. There's a difference between actually playing. You know, the doctor says you're healthy enough to play, but if you can't play to the level that you're used to playing, Alex Smith, when he was at Utah, could really run. He could move around. He was very athletic. When he was in Kansas City and San Francisco, it was the same way. I just didn't see that. I think I think he's not the same player he once was. I'd be surprised. I'd be really surprised if he was given another opportunity to continue to play, because to get a chance to play again, he's got to pass a physical. I don't know who's going to pass him on a physical and assume that liability. Um, so the Washington football team, one of the teams that a lot of us like what they've done this off season, you mentioned the Patriots. They've made a ton of moves, uh, uncharacteristically aggressive, right? In their free agency approach, as you mentioned, they've needed to be, do you think that that carries over to their, approach in the draft do they, they make they aggressive now, moves there i don't know if they'll do that i think they now are positioned in the draft to where they have a team they have at least they don't they're not in desperation mode of getting players do i think they'll trade up in the draft they could do i think they'll trade up for a quarterback i would be surprised if they did that i think there's probably just one guy they would trade up to get i i, I read all this stuff about they're interested in x y or z i'm not sure that's accurate uh i think that you know, they needed to do that. They needed to improve their talent base, especially with guys that could come in and play who had durability. Mm-hmm. Now they can get into the draft. What, what what you have to understand, the draft is really never about the current team. It's always about the next year's team. So when you draft a bunch of these young players, a lot of them don't contribute right away. They contribute the year after. And I think that the Patriots now are in position where they can add a class to the 2022 team, not necessarily impact the 2021 team, which is the right way to model your team after. Because when you're counting on a draft pick to have an immediate impact on your team, it's hard for him, especially a draft pick that hasn't played a lot of college football because of the COVID virus last year, missed so much time. I mean, missed off season, missed training, missed all those things. And then how do we get them ready to play? Because are we going to have an offseason? Are we going to be able to, to do the things we want to do? I think that that's a, that's a challenge. But the Patriots have improved. Again, it's going to come down to how well they can get the quarterback to play. And they'll still continue to make moves in this free agency. They'll still have opportunities to uh, find more talent, uh, cheaper talent now. Wouldn't all of the things that you just said, though, actually point to them drafting a quarterback? Because they've got Cam and he can kind of hold down the fort for now. But you're going to need a quarterback the year after that, probably. So maybe go get a Justin Fields if you, you know, and I don't know if that's the one that you were mentioning that that I don't, I don't, I would have a hard time thinking that would be the one. Uh, My sense of it is, is I think that uh, I don't think he fits what they do, but uh, my sense of it is, is that it's going to be hard to get up into the draft to get a quarterback when so many teams are picking their one quarterback. So if the Jets take Wilson, you know, Atlanta could easily take a quarterback. They know Matt Ryan's on a one-year proposition. They know it's it's over soon. Carolina wants a quarterback. Denver's trying to get up to get a quarterback. I mean, you're, you're behind a lot of teams looking for quarterbacks. It's hard to get up there. Well, who's the one that you think does match with them if it's not Justin Fields? Uh, you know, I, I would say 
I, I would say probably Zach Wilson matches what they want to do. I think he's got the skill set that what he could do. I think Mac Jones could do it too. I think the question you have to resolve yourself with Mac Jones, he played around a really talented team, really talented team. And, you know, if he played at Missouri, how well, how good would Mac Jones be? Does it matter if you're, if you're quarterback that you're going to start and then the guy that you're going to groom, if they have two totally different styles, does that make it more complicated to bring somebody along? Not, not really, because what, what I think what you say they drafted a Mac Jones and they had Cam. Well, they would run the same passing game. That just would be different would be the running game. You would not have as many quarterback runs as they would with Cam. That's all that would do. And you would reduce that. And you would kind of build around it. I don't think you would. I think the passing game has to be the passing game, no matter who the quarterback is. What you said a few minutes ago about the draft actually being for the next year um, made me think of the Packers because they pretty much didn't utilize any of their draft picks, it seemed like, last year. And and it looks like they're primed to not utilize their high draft picks again this year. And Jordan Love or A.J. Dillon, um, having brought back Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers just playing out of his mind last year. Do you think, because of that, that this ends up being a really big year for their front office? Because the moves that they made last year the success that they had really had nothing to do with the moves that they made it was because Aaron Rodgers played out of his mind and you've got these guys that used your draft capital on essentially just not being utilized sitting on the sideline well I think they'll use Dylan this year because Jamal Williams left so they got to replace him and I think Jones is such a dynamic weapon that they can use Dylan and Jones in the backfield at the same time because Jones has got a lot of Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook in him. He can go run routes on the outside. He can impact the passing game. That's why he got paid. Nobody wants to pay a running back, but you'll pay a weapon. And I think that's what I've maintained all along. Well, Jones is a weapon. Now, Dylan will come in and play. Jordan Love, I don't see him playing. If I were Brian Gutekest, I I would trade Jordan Love. I would say, you know, it's probably... Now, I would try to get as much for him now. I'd try to sign a veteran guy because I know that, A, I'm going to have to extend Aaron Rodgers' contract. You know, we just saw Dak Prescott make, make significantly more money than he makes. We just, we know Mahomes does that. We know Deshaun does that. Now, he, now none of those guys, with the exception of Mahomes, are better than Rodgers. Just fact. And that's yeah. what happens in the marketplace is that's how water seeks its level is when somebody gets a huge deal above and beyond. Now, if it was one or two million above and beyond, no, but this is, you're talking about, you know, six, let's say Dax 41 million and, and he's 33 million. That's 8 million a year, three years. That's $24 million. So, so somehow there's got to be a little bit of an adjustment. And so if I got to make that adjustment on Aaron, then I, I don't know if I can continue to pay. Why would I want Jordan love? I can't pick up the fifth year option. It would be ridiculous. Right. And how good is he anyway? Yeah. You wouldn't have any idea to way of knowing right do you um okay so that would actually be an interesting offseason move in this offseason where it feels like there are more teams than ever it seems like that are quarterback needy and maybe that's a way that he can make that draft pick actually look like it was valuable to get something Assuming back you could get it. something back for it no that's the problem what do you Who think really- you could get at this point well, I mean, why you can't trade him for less than a, than a high two. You just drafted him in the first round. And is somebody going to give you that? I don't know. I guess it depends on how they... They loved him. That's right. Him how much do they... Yeah, how they viewed him. Do you, do you think that we need to expect some sort of regression there in Green Bay from those, you know, three 
offensive skill players in Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones is that because they had the seasons that they had, is that something that, that they need to plan for? And I guess if you, if you, uh, what do you do to arm yourself against that? If the answer is yes. My sense of it is, is I think the way Rodgers played last year, I, I wasn't sure Rodgers was, was going to, if you go back five years before last season, Rodgers' yards per attempt was was increasingly going down. Last year, he had a, a 2013 season, back to really what he was really good with, Michael Finley and that whole group of players they had there on that team. So, you know, I would say, it, I would have said last year, it looks like he's going, his regression has bounced, has stopped. I wouldn't say that. I think Devontae Adams is still good. I think Aaron Jones is in the prime of his career. So that those guys are going to be good. Plus, I think they'll add some more talent to the roster. The key for Green Bay is going to be, can they manage situational football? Can they get better in the kicking game? And, and, and can they and can they not make the mistakes defensively that they've made? Now, they changed their scheme. Joe Barry's the defense coordinator. They'll be more they'll, – they'll be sounder than they were with Mike Pettin in terms of they won't give up a lot of free stuff. Will they be as good? I don't know. I think that remains to be seen. Should they be bulking up their O-line depth, like reacting to the NFC Championship game the way that we've seen Kansas City reacting to the Super Bowl? Because they had the same problem against Tampa Bay. Yeah, well, I mean, Kansas City, you know, cut both tackles. So, you know, look, they put Billy they put Billy Turner out there at left tackle, and that didn't work. And and they didn't help Billy Turner. Mm -hmm. I think that if I'm Matt Lafleur, I'm saying, look, I did just as bad a job helping Billy Turner as Billy Turner played. You know, they'll get Bakari back. That really helps. Yeah. Turner goes back over to right tackle. Uh, but look, you can always use more depth in the offensive line. It's the hardest position to, uh, to acquire. You've got to spend time. It takes two. It's like building a. It's really like trying to get a, a vineyard going. It takes takes time to develop it. It takes years to, of really refining it. And it's going to challenge it. The, the, the Chiefs had no choice. I mean, they cut both tackles, you know, so they had to spend money on the tackle position. And then they signed a Joe Tooney to a, a huge deal. who's was a really good player. I mean, they were forced to, they learned the hard way that football's a game that's controlled by the offensive and defensive fronts as great as the quarterback and the skill players are. It doesn't matter. Are you betting on football these days? I never bet. You never bet. You have a betting show and you don't actually place the bets. I think that's a, you know, I, I don't, I do. I have an information show. I, when I was in the league for 35 years, whether I was a general manager or pro personnel director, player personnel, my job was to handicap teams. You ask okay. me about a team, I break it down. You ask me how this team's going to play that team. I'll tell you when I was, then with the, now I've learned what the lines are and the line movement and the flow. It's no different than the stock market. Where is the money going? The the book only sets a number what they think based on power ratings, which is what I did when I was in the NFL. I used to rate every team, mm -hmm. and so you know, it, to me, it's just it's, it's just a manifestation of what I did in the league. And so when I say, look, I really think this team's a better team. I think they'll win. Here's who I like. You know, two years ago, I was, I think I was at right around 68% picking games. Last year, I was at 56% picking games. So it's very challenging. It's a hard thing to do, but you do it because, you know, you're handicapped. And that's what I do. But I never bet. I've never made a bet ever. 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 No, I don't even, I don't even have a bet on my phone. Do I don't you have, have a, a, like a fantasy team? Do you do any of that kind of stuff? No, I never do any of that. Nothing. Nothing. I don't because I mean, for me, I, 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 I like the idea. Okay. New England's playing Buffalo week one of the season. Okay. Here's how I see that game going. 
here's how New England's got to play. That's why I like the basketball tournament because the tournament is the same thing as NFL. It's how do you want to play the game? How's the game got to go? Who's going to, who matches up the best based on strengths and weaknesses? That's all I did in the NFL for all those years. But no desire to actually put something on the line. No, when I walk through the casino, go do my show. I see people at the slot. I see them at the at the craps table. I see them at the poker table. I have no interest. I have no interest at all. Like uh, you know, or and I and I talk about I talk about betting basketball. I talk about betting football. I talk about betting college football. I talk about betting hockey. All it is is that I'm just trying. Are you talking to about betting hockey? How do you analyze hockey? Hockey's not even your we wheelhouse. Bring, we, we bring somebody on that talks about it, and I just ask them questions, you know. And you know, you learn to to find that stuff out. I don't know. I think a lot of what you try to do is is handicap the the teams based on how they play, the emotion of the game. You know, this team's playing. You know, you know, like the tournament. You know, a five seed's playing a thirteen seed. Well, you know that 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 always. The five seed thinks they got it one. It's easy, but it really isn't. There's a lot of things that go into it. Well, no, that five twelve we all know is five twelve. Uh, yeah, just that's right. Screams, screams for the twelve seed to win. Um, that seems like an interesting one to bet on because the tournament is always such a kind of shit show in terms of upsets that right. like you fill out your bracket, but then taking that extra step of betting on a line for each game, that feels incredibly complicated because these yeah, things I mean, are all over the place. They're all over. I mean, look, whereas we're recording this, Gonzaga's playing in Oklahoma. Gonzaga opened up as a 14 and a half point favorite today. Uh, and that line was moving to Gonzaga at 15. I'm probably, and the game closed, Gonzaga was a, a 14 and a half point favorite. Now it's at 11. There's one minute to go in the game, and Oklahoma's probably going to cover, assuming that it doesn't go wrong. So, you know, and then you, but what you try to do is it's no different than the stock market. So you're trying the, the casinos or the sports book put a number out there. And then based on where the money comes in, is they move the number. So, like, Abilene's playing UCLA today. A ton mm-hmm. of money has come in on, on – a lot of tickets are being written up on UCLA and Abilene, right? But the most of the money is coming in on UCLA, yet they won't move the line. That tells you that they, there's a, the, that the, the, the sharp money is on Abilene. Listen to you, the sharp money. So how long did it take you to pick up this lingo since this wasn't really your space prior to joining? I just started I just started studying it and I just started it's really like the stock market, you know, it's very much like the stock market. You look at it like Abilene's undervalued. It's no different than a stock's undervalued. You know, here they are, they're the number seven team in the country defensively. They lead the they lead the NC2A enforcing turnovers. They're an undervalued stock, you know, and so that's how you have to look at it. Where can I get a good deal on it? And that's how you look at this board. And that's the only way to look at it. And it's the same thing. The NFL is harder because there's so ch- there's so much information. Everybody knows there's, you know, everybody's really in tune. And the power rankings of the NFL by the handicappers are really good. Does it feel weird being in this lane after so many years in the league where like betting is, you know, don't acknowledge that it even exists? Like even it, at the network, right? Like you're like, don't call anyone yeah. a favorite or an underdog because that is something that we're not willing to acknowledge it changed though now the it detroit did. lion the detroit lions are sponsored by bet mgm the commissioner's talking about it now i mean it's and we've moved this from you know from uh 
the back room and, and, and the kind of seedy behavior and, uh, you know, the, the black socks, the white socks scandal of 19 to 19, you know, it's like, that's not it anymore. I think it's a business. And look, the NFL's bet MGM, DraftKings, you know, uh, uh, bet QL, all these services, they, they're advertisers, they're revenue for the teams. So you're going to turn it down. Mm. I can't imagine. No, that's not something the NFL typically does. No, they never turn. They turn it not. Don't turn down money. So now that it's legal money, uh, uh, and and there's going to be and because of COVID, because of the financial implications that COVID has brought upon us, some of these states. In fact, it was just on CBS Sunday Morning yesterday. Colorado uh, legalized sports betting because they wanted to purify their streams and water. They needed more revenue to help their water systems in the state. They wanted to purify the water. They couldn't tax anymore. They had a luxury tax on on sodas and all these things. Well, where were they going to get the money from? So they put sports betting in, and now this money goes towards helping that. You're going to see this in almost every state. It's, it's no longer just taboo. And now you're going to be able to bet it on your phone. Could Which, you see a time in the near future where that is included in television broadcasts? It has uh, to be. You think so? It, ha- it has to be. I mean, Brent, who I work, Brent, Mus- the Musburger family owns Vison, who I work with. I mean, Brent used to do this. Jimmy Greek was the most popular guy at CBS Sports. I mean, really, the you know, you've done a morning show, you've done a, a Sunday pregame show. Mm-hmm. The people that want to watch the show, they want to know who's going to win the game. They really want to know who's going to win the game. Now, there's an entertainment element, but they want information to help them make the bet. That's what they want. That's what's going to drive the ratings. We're going to see a whole change of the more of the Sunday morning shows going towards the betting. We're going to see a complete change of it because it has to. You're not going to. Nobody's going to tune in to say, "I think the Titans are going to win today." If you don't tell them by how much and why, you know, and you got to bring good information along with it. I think that's going to be a powerful tool. And um, I think it's the only chance that you have to generate an audience because all week long, people look, look, there's a contest in Vegas called the million dollar contest where people bet five games a week. The winner gets a million dollars, you know, and so uh, one of the guys who won it two years ago used my book as a reference to, to make his power rankings. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of there's a growth opportunity and now that the networks have paid, Lindsay has paid so much money for the TV rights, I think you're going to see a scale back on the morning shows, but you're going to see more of this. What do you mean scale back on the morning shows? I don't think it's going to be as much entertainment as it's going to be CNBC type shows. Oh, just straight information. Tell, tell me stuff that affects my betting and fantasy more, and more, who to more put Adam, in there. More Adam Schefter, more Michael Fabiano, yeah. more, more, more of that, you know. Like I, I know it's nice to have a puff less entertainment, piece, a puff piece on a guy from Green Bay. Yeah, I'm sure that's a, there's a place for that. Mm. But I think Sunday before, I mean, they want who's in the game, who's not playing, who's hurt, who might be hurt, and what teams at a disadvantage. Michael, I think you're onto something. I think we should brainstorm like a yeah. Sunday show here. Let's let's come up with it and do it. Forget that's about a, the yeah. networks. That's yeah. <laughs> well, that, well, you don't have to worry about the networks anymore because everybody's a network. YouTube's a network. So true, right? With streaming, every I mean, everything changes. Social media is, yeah, it's it's all different. Do you uh, do you like what you're doing right now? Is this exactly what you see yourself doing? Is there a different inter- iteration for you down the road? Do you see yourself? No. Is there any scenario where you go back to a front office? No, I, I mean, I wrote my book. I wrote Good Iron Genius three years ago. I'm, I'm working on another book now. It's the uh, 
it's, I mean, I've, uh, you know, I think when they say there's three things you have to do in life, you have to plant a tree, have a son and write a book. Well, I, I've, I've not planted a tree yet. So maybe I'll do that this summer, but it, it's liberating. And, and I feel like I have personal freedom from writing my book and I'm very content at what I'm doing. I love working for Visa and I love breaking down games without the filter, without you talk, you talk, you talk commercial. You know, remember uh, we used to do those. So you talk, yes. you talk commercial B-roll, B-roll, B-roll. You know, it's like, okay. Totally. Uh, that, that, I was just having just, a conversation with a, a group of um, like would-be broadcasters and that type of a panel giving them advice the other day. And somebody asked me the difference about a podcast and television. And that's exactly what I, what I went to. I'm like, television is so timed out. It's so specific. And I don't know if it needs to be or if it just always has been. And so they have like, you know, producers have like times in their head. And so it's and and there must be specific evidence that would indicate like, oh, we did a focus group and it shows that people can only focus for, you know, a minute and a half and then you better move or something like that. But, you know, what you're saying is so true. You'd have a conversation. It would be in there for, you know, maybe two and a half minutes. There's enough time to go question answer, answer. Okay, go, 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 go to the next thing. And so it's constantly moving, which is interesting about podcasts and some of these new types of media is that you're seeing people just sit and have conversations and people are watching it. Yeah. I mean, look, and and the people want the real, they want information. They want the real information Mm -hmm. that, you know, and I don't need to call up somebody at the Colts to find out if player wise, a good player or not. So I just give my opinion and I feel like that's, you know, whatever I'm right or wrong, I'm going to give it and you move on with it. So, uh, you know, Gonzaga won by 17, just FYI, says we mm-hmm. finished record. So they covered the line and all the money was on Gonzaga covering that number. How, so, how many of these teams in the tournament are actually covering? Well, the dogs are covering quite a bit, but uh, what my point of bringing that story up is that a lot of it is about the movement of the money. Yeah. Where the money's coming from, the shift in the money and the betting market. And look, this is not a sport. This is not an industry that doesn't use algorithms. Like this is not some guy in his basement just covering up. This is, these are people with professional algorithms that run the numbers that do what Cynthia does at NFL Network, you know, mm-hmm. and sort of run the numbers, kind of have it expanded out and, and then see where the money's going. And I think that's what they do. So, um, how much value it, do you find in the numbers? Because so what you're you, there's the whole thing on Twitter where it's like, you know, some people are like, hey, nerds are ruining the sport because, you know, of all this analytics. So what's your take on how important the numbers are and how you put it into perspective with what you're seeing um, based on your experience and gut feelings surrounding talent level, stuff like that? I, I do a little bit of both. I think it's we I have a guy who wrote a book on sports betting. Josh Applebaum is on my show. We go back and forth quite a bit. I tell him all the time he would bet Coke machines because he doesn't care. He's just looking at the numbers where it's moving. Whereas me, I care about who's playing in the game. And so uh, you know, for me it's gotta line up the perfect way. And uh, you know, so I look at the numbers. As far as team building and analytics, I think there's a place for it. I think it has to be strategic. I don't think we can just keep looking at it. We're not on a doctoral study. We have to produce winners on the NFL. 
I think, you know, this whole two point craze going on, this whole returning down field goals. Mm-hmm. I think we've gone way too far. Loyola Chicago is the perfect example. The other day, they played basketball brilliantly. They took very limited threes. They took their two point shots. They played great defense. You know, what, what, what becomes a trend always comes back to what the real trend will be. So I, I love the numbers. I study it. Like I look at it hard. I pay attention to it, but in terms of team building, I don't, but in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, uh, of the, the betting, I'm looking really where the money is flowing, but not on field decisions. You don't think that that's sometimes. Somewhere. I think I, I think what happens is there's two things that happen in a game: who's in the lead and who's in control. The Patriots are losing 28 to three to the Falcons, but the Falcons were never in control of the game. So we came back and sc- even when it was 28 to nine, we came back and scored all those points. We were able. We weren't out of control of the game. Whereas sometimes you play in a game, we played Kansas City on Monday night. We were never in the lead. We were never in control. So that's a whole different. And now this opens up a whole new avenue of in-game betting. Because now you're sitting at your phone and you're watching the game. So today, today Oregon's uh, Oklahoma's playing Gonzaga. That line would have been, that line went down when it was a close game. That line went down to uh, Gonzaga was only favored by 13 and a half. So there's an opportunity for you to make money. So this is a whole world we're going through. And you're going to start seeing this on your TV screen. You're going to start seeing this on your TV screen. You're going to start seeing that, you know, whoever paying for the advertising is going to get their. If you want to bet the game right now, here it is, 13 and a half. People are going to do it. They want it. What would it take for you to open up an account and place bet? Uh, I, I have no interest in it. I don't. I have none. I have no interest in it at all. I really don't. I, I just I not into want... the the risk of it, or I don't understand. I, just don't, I mean, it's an opportunity to make money. If you are like, I have all of the information, and I can tell you I, how it's gonna because be I, 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 I want to separate when I give information. And I don't want to bet with. I don't want my heart to be in it. Like I get really pissed when I don't make good calls. Yeah. Like and, and people on Twitter, you know, they're going to be the first to tell you you're an idiot. I feel yeah. bad when I don't pick the game the right way. I feel bad. You know, I would feel really bad if I picked the game wrong and bet. Yeah. Who needs that added layer? Of yeah, stuff? I don't want another layer of that. Yeah. There's enough of that from Twitter. Michael Lombardi, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lindsay. It. It's great to catch up again. You too. It's been a long time. Thank you. 